From Murphy to Mancio, extraordinary athletes, coaches, administrators, and contributors have impacted the North Carolina sports landscape. For some, their talents left an indelible mark. So much so, they are enshrined in the North Carolina Sports Hall of Fame. It's time to chat with one of those Hall of Famers who dared to be as tall and stately as our Longleaf Pines. Here is your host of 15 Minutes of Fame, Chris Edwards. Welcome to 15 Minutes of Fame. I'm Chris Edwards. This week on the podcast, we chat with Curtis Strange, a 2023 North Carolina Sports Hall of Famer. Curtis enjoyed a tremendous amateur career at Wake Forest, where Golf Digest ranked him as the number two and three amateur golfer in back-to-back years. During his time with the Demon Deacons, Curtis finished in the top 25 in all of his matches, including a top five finish in 21 of his matches and part of a team that won an NCAA title. Following his time in Winston-Salem, he turned pro and won 17 times on the PGA Tour, including back-to-back U.S. Open championships in 1988 and 1989. Curtis has been working in television since 1997 and was inducted into the World Golf Hall of Fame in 2007. We chat about all of those things and more this week with a 2023 North Carolina Sports Hall of Famer, Curtis Strange. Curtis, thank you so much for the time, and welcome to the podcast. Well, thanks for having me. It's a, it's a, it's a pleasure to be here, and uh, there must be something good going on, I guess. We'll get into that in a little bit. Uh, let's start with your growing up up in the Norfolk, uh, Virginia area. I know your dad was a country club owner. Is that kind of where the love of the game was sparked for you? Yeah, it. Uh, he was he was a PGA professional, and uh, he, you know, because of that, I had early age access. And that is important. Um, I just fell in love with the game from the very beginning. I was going to the golf course with him most every day in the summer at nine years old and coming home, you know, at late at night. And, and I loved every part of it. And it wasn't that I was playing all the time. I was goofing off with all the other caddies and friends, but I loved every bit of it. And, um, and, and then it just, it just grew from there, Chris. Um, I, I played other sports. Uh, all through high school, but always went back to golf and, uh, uh, you know, and then you start competing and you start because your dad's a professional and a good swinger and a good player. You, you do learn the fundamentals at an early age, which is beneficial, but it's up to you to go ahead and carry that on and work at it and, you know, fall in love with it and, 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 and enjoy every bit of it. And, uh, and I did all of that. When did you start to fall in love with the game to the point where you're like, man, I could probably go play this at the collegiate level, maybe even professionally. I don't think I did. It, it, it never happens like that. And I don't know if it does in other sports or not, but it was just a progression. Um, you know, you start to play reasonably well at a young age and, you know, you're playing your junior club championship and you play against the other kids, um, you know, a couple of times a week and, and you, you, you play well against them. You stack up well against them. And of course the next age is more amateur golf around your area and you stack up reasonably well against them and older players and, and you seem to do well. And then the next, next is, you know, traveling outside of your area a little bit. And then the biggest step for me was traveling outside the area into 
to amateur golf and, and Wake Forest golf. And you, it's just a, it's just a progression. You never I never sat back and said, you know, I think I can play this at a professional level. That only came when I was getting ready to leave Wake Forest and I had to make a decision. Yeah, let me piggyback off that. Let me ask you first about Wake Forest and the decision to attend Wake Forest. What attracted you about Wake and, and Winston-Salem and the whole area? Well, I, a couple of things. One is that my dad knew Arnold Palmer and played amateur golf against him. So, you know, it, it, there was a relationship there. And then, of course, Arnold and Sam Snead were my heroes uh, that play, played professional golf. And then uh, Lanny Watkins, who was a Virginia boy, was five years ahead of me. He'd gone to Wake Forest. And then uh, he's the one that offered me, said, Coach Haddock wants to offer you the the Honor Palmer Scholarship, and I think I was a junior in high school at the State Amateur, uh, and so I uh, signed on the spot. But back in the day, there weren't that many golf schools out there. Um, my mother's whole side of the family went to UVA, and they wanted me to go there to play golf, but they didn't offer a scholarship back in the day. Now, who didn't offer scholarships in the day, but it did back in the <laughs> middle 70s. So uh, I, I signed on the dotted line quickly to go to Wake Forest and you know, it wasn't too far, too, too far from home, Virginia Beach. And uh, I, I knew Lanny and, and a couple other guys there. So uh, I, uh, I, at, at, at 18, what do you know? What do you know? And, and, I, and I made a, a lucky and good decision. You, you mentioned Arnold Palmer, obviously played at Wake Forest. He was one of your idols, one of your mentors growing up. Did you get to know Arnold at all? And how much influence did he have on you and your life? You know, I did. And, uh, it's one of the, it's one of the good things that happened has happened to me in my lifetime. Um, my dad knew him. Uh, I, I, I played on the Palmer scholarship. I, I, I happened to win his award a couple of times on the tour and, 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 but better than all of that, he, he became a friend and, uh, somewhat of a, of a mentor to me, um, Maybe not in the stronger terms, but we we saw each other a couple of times a year. And if I ever had a real issue, which I did a couple of times, I went to Arnold for advice, and because uh, he'd been around the block more than once, and uh, and he I think he cared about me, and I certainly cared about him, and uh, it was a it was a great relationship because he was he was um, he was just a, a man's man, a good man, and I was. It was a privilege to call him a friend. You were the number two ranked and number three ranked amateur golfer in the country by Golf Digest in back-to-back years. Finished in the top 25 in all of your college matches, top five in 21 of those. When you think back on your career as a Demon Deacon, what stands out? The team, uh, how how we came in there as, as young kids. Uh, uh, you know, our first NCAA, we were two freshmen and two sophomore and a junior. And and, and the junior was the fifth player. So, uh, it was, it was team atmosphere coach stressed that. And we, we embraced that. And, uh, we, we thought, you know, we were young and, and stupid and, uh, you know, maybe a little bit cocky. I don't think cocky. We just, it was part of that next progression I was talking about earlier. And, uh, and coach demanded a lot out of us. Now he, he allowed us to be students and it wasn't so it was, very, very serious back in the day, but it was not as regimented as it is today. And uh, meaning the workouts and the weights and the this and the that, and it was student and golf. And uh, in, in my case, it was golf and student second. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, coach had to grab, get us off the golf course to go to the classroom. And so uh, we were, we all four of us, the top four of us, and David Thor and Bob Byman and Jay Haas, 
who was still playing the Champions Tour, and and myself, we uh, we we lived for golf, and that was the main objective was to come together and play as a team and win as much as often as we could. And we, and we did, we, we came together and we, we upset Florida our, my freshman year. And, uh, and then the next year we, we, we did well. After your junior year at Wake Forest, you turned professional. We just talked about the success you had. We talked about the progression, right? What was the biggest driving factor for you to forego your senior year and turn pro when you did? Uh, the main reason was because my mother couldn't afford, my dad died, you know, was a PGA professional, but he died when I was 14. And so, uh, you know, we were, we were left out there and, uh, he was in the process of buying the club that we grew up at and that did come to fruition, but we, mom couldn't afford me to play amateur golf for one more year. And, uh, that, and then I felt I was spinning my wheels at Wake Forest. If I'd went back another year because Jay and, and David Thor, part of that foursome were seniors. So they were leaving. So I just felt like it was a good time to go. And, uh, and I, and I went to coach and, and I told him what I wanted to do, what I thought was best for me. And he, he agreed, he agreed. And it, uh, was the, was the push out the door, the father pushing the son out the door because he became like a, a second dad to me and, and it made me feel good. But uh, that was the main reason. Let's talk about your PGA Tour career. You won 17 times on tour, 29 professional wins overall. Of course, the back-to-back U.S. Open championships in 1988 and 89. Everyone knows that it's hard to win at the highest level of any sport, but can you talk to me about (laughs) winning on the PGA Tour and professionally and how tough that is and and what stands out about those wins you had on tour? You know, Chris, I I go back. I, I just, I don't, I don't look at it like it's so hard. It was the next progression. And right. I will say this, that when I went out on tour, it was by far the largest step I ever took in the sport from, from college amateur days to professional golf. Um, it's certainly different now. They come out so much more polished, uh, educated in the golf. Uh, and I don't know why that is because we ate it, slept it every waking moment. But uh, it was a huge step for me, I felt like. And all I thought to myself, and, and I was ready for this, is that all I had to do was work. Mm-hmm. I would be okay if I worked. And nobody was going to outwork me. And I, I beat balls, and I beat balls, and I played, and I practiced, and, and I did everything I possibly could. And eventually it came around. It, my first couple of years were slow. And uh, looking back on it, that was a good thing makes you who you are, makes you a little stronger, makes you appreciate what you get later on, I think, a little bit more. And, uh, you know, Sarah and I were married at 21 and 20. So uh, we, I had that responsibility. And, and she, we drove the tour and we drove the tour together uh, around the country. But it just – and then finally in 79, I, I was playing better. I was going to become exempt in 80, and I won the last tournament in 79. And then, then I was – do you feel like you belong though? Yeah. Do you feel, you never feel like you belong. Uh, maybe that's a good thing, but I, I felt like, okay, we're over the hump to keep working and busting your ass. And maybe we can, we can, we can improve again. Uh, take me back to those U S opens at 88 and 89. When you won back to back years, what memories come to mind when you reflect on those two wins? The first one, um, I was, I was been playing well for three or four years and I'd come close in the U.S. Open twice before, and I certainly came real close in '85 in the Masters. And I don't 
didn't go to bed every night thinking, well, I'm the next guy. I should do this. No, you just keep playing because I was doing well. I was winning some tournaments. I was, you know, I was, you know, just comfortable, finally comfortable. But you read it in the press, mm-hmm. uh, you know, hey, who the best player is. I hadn't won a major, that kind of stuff. Well, I'd already won twice that year. And I came to Brookline, Massachusetts for the U.S. Open and, and I was really playing well. And I just, you know, just kind of do your job. You still have to execute. And I got in position. And, and uh, you know, now all that experience that the, the wins, but more importantly, the losses made you who you are. And I just felt like we were ready. Sarah and I were ready. And uh, you still, again, have to execute. And we had to go to a playoff. But it finally came, finally happened. And it uh, it's a feeling like nobody that doesn't play sport that will ever understand played on five Ryder Cup teams, captain the team in 2002. How special are those teams, those moments, and that event as a whole to you? Chris, it's the best week I ever had in my life, you know, outside of just having babies and, and winning a tournament. Uh, Sarah and I thoroughly enjoyed the entire process. Uh, you know, we were delayed a year because 9-11 happened mm-hmm. in, in, when I was there. So, But it was it was the grandest preparation but the fun was the week. The fun was the players. The fun was dealing with the players and the personalities. And, you know, they they were like kids. They wanted to know what was up. They wanted to know. They wanted to – what the rules were with me. And, you know, they all listened, which is – I, I kind of was taken aback. They would listen, and they did everything they possibly could except win, which was – that's just – anyway – it was a great week and and uh, uh, something we'll never forget. You've been working in television, Curtis, since 1997. Uh, what are some of those memorable events that you've covered as a broadcaster? Wow. I, I, I wish I'd have written those things down. Uh, we uh, we went at uh, Mike Tarico and I in about our third tournament in Tucson, Arizona. We were both rookies doing golf, and we ran out of diesel fuel 30 seconds before we go out of air our, so we had to do that. I mean, that was a shock to me. But we we called uh, we called the Vanderbilt collapse at the Open Championship. Uh, we called uh, the Ian Woosnam fifteen clubs on the first tee Sunday at the Open Championship and that debacle. And uh, there was a, it seemed like it always happened at the Open. But we I guess more more importantly than all of those, we covered Tiger Woods his first tournament on uh, we were covering Milwaukee when he came out in 76 um, and he seemed the way he played well every week, but we had 18 tournaments at the time and we had him on a lot and we watched him grow on tour and we watched him develop um, and he become the, you know, one of the two best players ever to play the game. You talked earlier about, do you feel like you belong? And you were inducted into the World Golf Hall of Fame in 2007, now known as one of the all-time greatest in the sport. How much of an honor is that? It's hard to put into words. It's, it's you know, it's just, it still doesn't seem possible. Uh, you know, that when, you, when you're growing up a kid, you, as a kid, you dream about maybe winning the U.S. Open or the Masters or whatever tournament is close to your area. Um, uh, but you know, the hall of fame stuff is, is, is for the, the greats of the game. The hall of fame stuff was a dream that never entered my mind because it was too far fetched. It was too far out there and you could never put your finger on it. And it just, when I got the call, I just, you know, it, I, I, I didn't think I was worthy. 
um, I, I just, uh, it was, it's, it's just, was a hell of an honor. Just was a hell of an honor. It still to this day is. Well, how special is it to be recognized here in North Carolina where your professional journey really got started? It, it brings back so many memories. Um, uh, it, it's again, hard to explain to go with some of these greats that, and contributors in, in this great state of North Carolina and, and uh, all that I know very well because I'm old enough now. And so, uh, you know, at, as you get older, you, you embrace these things so much more because when you're young, you, you're moving on to the next day, the next thing so quickly. And now you get to sit back and, and think about things and reminisce a little bit. And this has given me a great opportunity to think about Wake Forest and think of what I might say. And, 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 and celebrate them because, you know, if it wasn't for Wake Forest and Coach Haddock, I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you today. And, and the team and, and, and the atmosphere now being a resident down there brings me even closer back to, you know, the big four and the, and, and my days at Wake and, and just ACC, all, all in for the ACC. Let me let you go with this thought. I'd like to end all these podcasts this way. In your mind, you've been so successful in the game of golf, but if someone wants to be successful in life, what do you think are the biggest keys to being a successful person? You know, keep your eyes on the on the goal. Uh, focus and work hard. Don't let anybody outwork you. Show up early and leave late. And somebody will notice. Somebody will become your your advocate and help you along the way. But uh, if you got the energy and the, and the effort, you put in the effort. I don't think anybody can stop you from doing anything. That's a perfect place to end. Curtis, thanks for the time. Congratulations and welcome to the Hall of Fame. Thank you very much. Good to be with you. Thanks to Curtis for his time on the podcast this week. And thanks to you as always for joining us. For the North Carolina Sports Hall of Fame, I'm Chris Edwards. <laughs>